When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Group Text. We have a lot going on in the world. We are all quarantined because of this coronavirus. I am taping from home. We have an amazing panel who's also calling in today. Right off the bat, let's start with Dr. Eric Snyder. He is the medical director at Providence Tarzana Hospital, especially for emergency medicine, and also an assistant professor at UCLA. Eric, welcome. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. Good morning. And there's Sabrina. Good morning. So give me a quick thumbnail of your background. So I'm an emergency medicine specialist. Uh, I trained at UCLA about uh, 14 years ago. Um, And uh, I've worked in the community as well as part-time at UCLA since. And uh, I've been the medical director at Tarzana for many years now in the emergency department. I guess my first question uh, for you, because you are literally boots on the ground, what are you seeing in the emergency room? Is it chaos? Well, um, fortunately, right now, what's happened with the social distancing that's in place, um, we are seeing, you know, a number of patients that have uh, respiratory distress and and likely due to COVID. Um, the issue is that testing turnaround still takes about five to six days. Mm-hmm. And so while people are presumptive COVID, we aren't finding out if they're truly positive until about five days after we test them. And so we're making a lot of assumptions right now based on people's symptoms or based on the x-ray or CT scan findings that they are truly COVID or not. Um, you know, one of the things that concerns me is that people still need to understand that the emergency department is still open. And people with chest pain, people with abdominal pain should still be coming in. We're seeing more and more people hold out until the last minute when it's too late to do anything. And that's, you know, that's a, a, a sad consequence of, of the virus as well with the social quarantine. Everybody's concerned about coming to the ER. Well, there's still emergencies. You still need to address those. Right. I want to know about So if your kid is out playing in the yard and falls and breaks their arm, you should still come to the emergency room. Absolutely, and that's what we're here for. And we're making, we're taking every precaution possible to avoid any exposure to other people um, at our hospital. We're, we're screening how, how people before they even that? enter. How are um, you so it's a great that? question. We are screening people. Uh, we're checking people's temperatures before they enter the hospital. We're checking every visitor. We're screening people with questionnaires, and we're really do, uh, being diligent to avoid any unnecessary exposures. I guess, you know, because I have, you know, relatives and I have my son who flew home. If if you're not feeling well, let's just say I'm not feeling well and I go to the hospital and I test positive, what happens to me? Do they separate me and my son? I mean, if he's, let's just say he's my ride. I mean, what what do you do? Because I'm seeing all these stories of people's families not allowing, not being allowed any contact with them and even people dying and their family cannot be there. Is there any truth to any of that? Well, 
so when you go home, there's no there's no lock and key where you're locked up, and it's sort of your social responsibility to quarantine yourself. And again, the way this virus is spread is via droplets, and so it's by coughing, sneezing, you know, poor hand hygiene. And so if you're diagnosed positive, we do recommend at least a 14-day quarantine where you really take every necessary precaution to avoid contact with the unaffected. So I think really I think what I'm asking you. is, let's say someone in your home is actually has it has the symptoms, respiratory distress. You bring them to the emergency room. Sure. What do you, do they get? What happens? What is so? That's, I mean, do you that's get separated great... from your family? I mean, is anyone allowed no. to stay with you? What what is you know? I think that's basically one of my fears because we're hearing all these stories. Right. Um, so that's a great question. There's, there's no, there's no laws in place. And so if you get diagnosed with uh, coronavirus, we encourage you to go home. If you're not sick enough to need hospitalization, I'm we're trying to keep everybody out of the hospital. I, I, I'm asking if you're sick enough to need hospitalization. Uh, understood. So every hospital is different. We have limited the number of visitors that can visit uh, affected people for public safety, as well as your own. And so we have clearly made exceptions for when the emotional well-being of a patient you know, such as family, children, et cetera, require um, or would be enhanced by visits by the family. And so it's a case-by-case basis, but we're really, really being diligent about containing this virus and not spreading it to the unaffected. One of the things we keep hearing about also is not enough tests. How is this playing out Actually, like in in real time, because it's one thing to see it on the news. It's another thing for you to be seeing it in person and the frustration of it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And and there is a uh, lack of available testing. And the, as I mentioned earlier, the turnaround time, meaning when I send the test and when I get the results, is five to six days. Based on there's only a couple of places that are running these samples, and so there's a huge backlog. And so that's that's a you know that's a big issue, and that's not only it, Melissa. It's the issue is also that we have a, a lack of personal protective equipment because people are hoarding it, people are buying it from Costco for their families in bulk, and the people that need it, including EMS, my nurses, my physicians, you know, if if we get sick, there's not going to be anybody there to take care of anybody that comes in the department, and so it's a it's a real big concern right now. Well, doctor, I, I heard something today where they said that there's a company that is producing self-testing kits. How how quickly do you think that that will happen? And will they so, be accurate? reliable? So so that's a really good question. Um, I don't know enough about the type of testing they're going to um, provide, and obviously I, I would hope this is going to be FDA cleared, even if it's fast-tracked. Um, the problem is is what's called a false negative test. And so that means if somebody has a disease or the virus and they take the test and it says it's negative, they get false confidence and false reassurance that they don't have to quarantine themselves. And then they go out and they are going to expose other people. So we, So there is actually a risk to these tests if they're not fully vetted. And I really don't want people getting these self-tests that aren't truly vetted and cleared and to make sure they're accurate because they actually should be big disservice for our community. Wow. Do you think that are we going to, I guess the question really is, are we at a standstill in a way? Because 
we're waiting for everyone to catch up. I know just today and yesterday all the FDA approval process has been loosened and all those kind of things. But are we – it feels like we're at a standstill. Um, yeah, that's a great question. We, we are right now. Um, we're waiting for more test kits to be shipped out. We're waiting for drive-through testing like they've had in China and South Korea. And we're really waiting for this next push of shipments. And I know approximately 500,000 kits were just uh, sent over from Italy to the U.S. Um, and, but that's, uh, again, that's the, just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to need millions and millions and millions of these tests distributed throughout the country so that we can really get a handle on the uh, epidemiology of this disease and where it is and where to confine it. Is, is there a lot of aggression in competition between all the different hospitals? I mean, I can think in L.A. how many hospitals we have about trying to get these tests and the, and the protective equipment and all those things. Or, I would think there's a lot of competition. So that's, that's a great question. And, and, you know, it's actually the opposite right now. What, what, what we're finding is we're all sharing a lot of information and we're all coming together because we know if this is only contained, for example, at Cedar sinai and not at Holy Cross or St. Joe's, then it's going to continue to spread. This is something that needs to be controlled throughout L.A. and throughout the greater region. And so we're finding that we're, we're sharing our, our, our consultants, we're sharing our information, and this is really bringing us together rather than dividing us. When are we expected to reach our peak on this? I mean, you're saying that there's a delay in the test results, four to five days. So when they, we hear a number, it's really not a true number because the tests are coming in slowly, if you will. When, when are we expected to peak at this? I hear some say 45 days, some say 90 right. days. I think that people are trying to uh, really look at what has gone on in China and Italy, you know, to give us some sort of indicator of, you know, where we will be in the next few days or so. What are your thoughts? You know, that's a really good question. And, and what's interesting about that question is the more effective we are in quarantining, the later the, the peak is going to be. And so, you know, there's some minds out there that think, well, let's just sort of speed this up and get it over with. Therefore, everybody's going to be immunized by it because they've been infected. And then there's those that I more agree with that we need to delay the peak so that we have the capacity to care for the people that come in. And so 45 days is a rough estimate. Um, it could be longer than that, depending on how strictly people adhere to these quarantines. And so, um, you know, some estimates are that we won't be through this until November. Now, I mean, the peak is, you know, May, June, July, um, and then the tail end would be November. And I think that's that's probably reasonable. Only because I've seen a number of this around people that I know. Women who are pregnant and are going into labor. How dangerous is it? Are they considered immunocompromised? How dangerous is it for these newborn babies? And have you sealed off the maternity ward? So that's a really good question. Certainly we, um, we protect our pregnant women and our young patients uh, to the best of our ability, and we're doing a really good job with that. Um, what we've seen so far with pregnant women is that while they are relatively immunocompromised versus the general population just based on their pregnancy status, the coronavirus hasn't really affected them like we've like the flu would, for example, and they're not uh, they don't appear to be in any more danger than the normal population. It doesn't seem to be transmitted uh, to the baby um, in utero, uh, meaning when the baby's still in in the womb, 
And so, you know, we really don't have enough pregnant COVID patients, and I hope we never do, to really have the numbers to decide what is the true risk um, of this virus to these patients. But fortunately, we're, we're able to uh, cordon them off and really protect them from other people that have it. Are these newborns being tested? So the thing about testing is you have to remember is if you test a newborn and it's negative, there's no difference in testing it and it's positive because there isn't a treatment for it right now. And so it wouldn't affect treatment. And if a child is born to a coronavirus mother, then if they develop a fever, we're still going to look for other reasons. But we can assume if we don't find anything else that it is coronavirus and the treatment is supportive, meaning just provide oxygen, suctioning, et cetera, as needed. I mean, I just know as a parent that would be terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. What are you doing with to protect your patients who are already there? Again, we mentioned people who have had heart attacks or heart surgery or, you know, are there, are, are there for appendicitis. They have had their appendix taken out. How are, are you literally closing off sections of the hospital? So we've done a lot of protective measures, and I appreciate the administration support at our hospital to provide this. We are, again, limiting the number of visitors. In the emergency department in particular, we have a specific area for those that have respiratory symptoms or possible coronavirus and those that need routine medical care, including heart attacks or appendicitis or that kind of stuff. And so we are sectioning off places that have considered the dirty area and the clean area. The dirty area being those that might or have been tested positive. And then even after that, it's a two-hour cleaning process where it's an hour of cleaning for each room and then an hour to let it sterilize afterwards. And so we're doing everything possible to ensure that our department does, is, is not one of the factors involved in spreading this disease. What is the best thing we can do to support our, our medical staff and all of these professionals that have been pitching and you've been seeing people bringing pizza and, you know, waters and all? What is the, first of all, are you allowed to accept these things? And yeah. what is the best way for all of us to support our community health workers? You know, I, I appreciate that that question. I think, um, I think even even providing letters of support, just showing that the community is behind them. You know, I'm I'm so absolutely proud of my staff working in in my department that they show up. Nobody's called out with any illnesses. Thank goodness. Um, there's childcare issues, but they're showing up day in and day out. They're fighting this virus on the front lines with myself and my other physicians. And just to know that the community is behind them, whether you provide pizza, you know, cookies, anything, even letters of support, it's just nice to know that we're not alone in this. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to get on with us today and for all the good work you guys are doing. It is it gives you some hope. Thank you for providing this podcast. I think it's really important that the public is aware of what's going on. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Snyder. Thank you. My pleasure. You guys be safe. You too. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye.